Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I'm joined um, via Zoom from my friends in England, um, active Latter-day Saints that are deeply involved with the youth in England and have written a new book. Welcome to the podcast, Sam and Jen Norton. Well, thank you for having us, Richard. We appreciate it having us Brits on and if we're able to help just one person with our story then it'll be worth it so yeah thank you very much um sam and um jen live near london just a little northwest of london maybe an hour's drive um in kind of a rural area with their four children they have four kids ages eight through 15 they have recently completed a two-year assignment over fsy in london We'll talk more about that. I are now serving as rising generation advisors in the London area. There is experiencing their experience is something I've been able to observe all the way over here in Utah, and I'm excited to be able to share that they've recently um, written their experience in a new book called "Come as You Are: Creating Space for the Rising Generation to Come into Jesus Christ." I'm excited for this um, for this podcast. And to hear these wonderful British accents that remind me of my own mission. Um, and a little bring a little Downton Abbey uh, uh, that my wife and I love so much. But it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, listeners, as I've gotten to know Sam and Jen over the last couple of years, um, I just become aware of the work they're doing with YS with FSY in London. And um, they'll talk about this, but that's a once-a-year event with the Latter-day Saint youth um, in the London area and beyond. They had um, youth there, four or 500 youth from 97 nationalities. And as I looked at the pictures on their Instagram feed, I just recognized that Sam and Jen have this unique ability to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ home um, for the youth of our church. And they're kind of in a really unique place that they understand these so well. They understand kind of a worldview living in the UK and what we can do to better support younger Latter-day Saints. They're in their early 40s, so they're kind of this bridge generation between my generation, your parents, <laughs> that really were, and we talked about this, the the people that really built the church in England, the building the builders um, that actually built the churches in the 60s and 70s. And the youth that believe in the same gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's more about inclusion and acceptance um, and love. And there's just a different set of values. And they have the ability to sort of bridge um, a message to the younger people. And they've written this book that we'll put in the show, show notes. But if you're a local leader, a parent, or even a youth that are just looking for a message about um, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to bring it to heal and bring hope to our younger people. Um, Sam and Jen are two of, you know, the experts in my mind in this space. One of the things that's the reality of serving in England is you've, you've had callings ever since you like became adults. Um, um, Sam was a bishop at age 24. Um, he served in a stake presidency for nine or 10 years, been a stake young woman's stake young men's president. Um, Jen has likewise had really senior callings, um, um, Relief Society president. And um, one of the things that they may mention is a lot of their friends have left the church um, and just 
for a number of reasons, but one is the intense load of callings and just the challenge of administrating the church. And they've been able to stay and uh, manage the, the tension there. But I think they will have insights into what we can do to help people stay and sort of the realities of the church in the UK and how we can improve. So this is kind of a podcast to look inward and um, recognize we have work to do as part of the ongoing restoration and just a real sensitivity to Gen Z's um, who I think are just awesome and what we can do to better, um, because they are part of Zion and they help us create Zion. But as part of that, we need to help them feel like they belong and their voices are needed and their contributions are valued and their worldview helps us grow as a church. That's kind of a long five-minute introduction. I served my mission in England probably before you were born, practically, because <laughs> I am so old. I guess not. I'm only 20 some odd. I think it's true. I think it is true. So I love the UK, and um, it's kind of fun for me to talk to two people from the UK. Um, so with that, I'll just kind of get you started. You could talk about the youth. You could talk about the book. Um, I'll just kind of get you started. Yeah, well, look, thank you so much for having us on. And and I guess I should say at the, the top of the call that, you know, we just, our views are our own, right? We don't speak on behalf of others and we haven't been elected or, or asked to do this. So people might disagree with us and that's totally okay. Um, like maybe we start by just giving folks a, a flavor for what what life is like in the UK and the church. Um, Good. Yeah, we're not a terribly religious uh, society. Uh, if you're a young person with faith, you're definitely in a minority. If you're a young person with faith in Jesus Christ, that's a smaller minority. Um, most youth are the only member of the church their friends have ever even heard of, uh, much less being the only member of the church in their school or university community. So there's a, frankly, there's a lot of headwinds to, to, to fly against, or a lot of stream to swim against. But, you know, I think we're really optimistic about the future. Um, We've just got a new British apostle. Like, that's insane, but it's really exciting. And, um, you know, we're going to have our third temple in quite a small uh, group of saints, um, you know, relatively speaking. We're going to have a conference center up in the north for all sorts of activity. And if we can just keep hold of our kids and persuade them that connecting to God and feeling his love and his light and his healing in their lives and is it's a their, strength. And it's their church too. And then it's their church. You know, we've, we've got a shop, right? We've, we've really got a shop. But. Yeah. I think as well, um, just one of the conflicts that we're seeing is that for a long time we had these generational members that were converts and they have been so faithful, so dedicated. Everything that came out of Utah, they have followed to the nth degree. Um, and a lot of it out of duty. Um, but through their faithfulness, we had so much growth and so many children were born and the church was really thriving over here. But as we've seen the generations um, you know, grow through time, you have now the children, the grandchildren of these converts um, that they think very differently and they don't do things out of duty. They definitely don't do things because they're being told to do them. And so you have these wonderful older members um, really butting heads with the younger generations that are coming in. It's a bit of a challenge over here at the moment. Um, and because we've lost so many, um, so many of our dear friends and 
you know, loved ones have gone. And I think because we're smaller over here and it's a real community, you feel their loss when they've gone. Um, and yeah, it, you do feel it mm. and it's very mm. sad. But it's really important not to position that as right and wrong. It's definitely not old is wrong, young is right. You know, we've just got to get these generations talking to one another. And, you know, both of our sets of parents are from the chapel builder generation and their faith is extraordinary. I mean, my parents have got stories where the leader of the church said, sell what you own and uh, put it to the building fund. And so my parents with, you know, a couple of young children sold their car and gave that money to the church and turned up on a Saturday to lay down foundations and brick walls and all sorts. And I think if, if, if our state president said today, Sam and Jen, sell your cars and give it to the church, I'd, I'd probably have 10 reasons why that isn't the right thing to be doing. Um, but not our parents. They just they did it willingly. So, And one more thing I might say is when you look at the youth today, and the young adults, their generational values have shifted. You know, they, as Jen said, they are not, they have a different relationship with organizational hierarchies. They have a much more pragmatic relationship with the church. Um, they have the benefit of history. They have the benefit of the internet. They have the benefit of learning different diverse narratives alongside the central narratives and can constantly network and compare and contrast. And that's a really difficult way to process truth, right? They're radically inclusive, which we love. They have got encoded into their DNA a desire to live the baptismal covenant in ways we can scarcely imagine. And if we can get the responsibility into their hands as quickly as possible and just give them a little bit of support and stability, mm. they will lead us forward. And um, the challenge is that when the balance of power, if that's the right phrase, sits up in the older generations where it's about duty and uh, certainty, then um, you know that can sometimes tip into exclusionary mindsets, exclusionary language, exclusionary attitudes. And Which these kids who drive themselves, hate, yeah, yeah they, they react viscerally, right? Yeah. And they, they feel sometimes they're pushed out of their faith that they didn't even get a shot at really learning who Christ is because they just can't cope with the space. And that's where we try to spend some time and try and unpick it and, and try and bring as many people with us. That's just so helpful the way you frame it up. And I, you know, I think, I don't know if this is true, but I think, you know, the challenges in the UK are the same challenges that will eventually happen along the Wasatch Front if they're not already happening right now and in many parts of the United States and the world. And and so it's not like this is like an isolated island not to pay any attention to. This is the strength of the church um, and provided so many saints that came to the States. But this is not like a sign of the last days the church is getting weaker in the UK. This is for me, what can we do to look inward um, so that, you know, we can manage this tension? And I like the gospel of Jesus Christ has this umbrella where duty and certainty are part of the gospel and radical inclusivity is part of the gospel. So it's not like the Latter-day Saints in the UK are living two versions of the gospel. It's just like you framed up so well is generation values have shifted. And I I don't look at that as a negative thing, listeners, as the Nortons are talking about. I look as a positive thing and part of a maturing of the gospel. And so when you talk about radical inclusivity, to me, that resonates with me because I look at the life of Jesus. But you're kind of in this unique, you know, bridge um, with the work you're doing in the church, the book you've written, 
Um, but you also frame up that they leave because they don't get a chance to really have an, an ability to impact the organization. I like the way you also talk about the church is pretty committed to the UK with the Third Temple, um, with the Conference Center. Remind our listeners where the Third Temple is. I can't remember. Birmingham. Yeah. So we've got That's London right. in the south, we've got Preston in the north, and as a proud Brummie, as a, a boy from Birmingham, we're going to have one in Birmingham uh, a couple of years' time. And that's not too far from you, I believe. Not too far at all. Not too shabby. And the conference center you mentioned, where is that going in? So that's going to be up on the Preston Temple site. So that's going to be a center for FSY and lots of events in the future, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. So the church hasn't obviously pulled the plug on the UK, and I'm I'm saying that kind of facetiously. UK hasn't just finished its contribution to the church. It's still, and you know, there's incredible people in the UK, incredible youth. Um, well, so keep sharing. I I just keep... Say, sorry, Richard, I would say that its best days are still ahead of it. I love that. We really feel that. We really feel, I mean, we'll, we'll come on to this. What we've seen with the young people is if they are given space to do it their way and God's way, and, and we're a little bit more humble and a little bit more respectful that, change is a good thing, they will blow the doors off. They have a real desire for God and, and his truth, and they want they will do it in better ways than, than we can possibly imagine. And uh, the bit that's difficult is when it's slow to transition to, to them. But it'll come. We just want to make it a little bit easier, a little bit faster. Yeah, keep sharing. You could talk about the book. You could talk about FSY. You could talk just... Whatever you'd like to talk about. Why don't we? What do you think? Why don't we? We'll leave the book till last. Um, okay. I think the real, the real. I'd love people to discover that in their own time, but the book is really a summary of our thoughts on where we can tighten up on inclusion uh, and where what are some of the barriers to inclusion culturally that we've we've seen, um, and it's also backlit by the very practical experiences of FSY. So I, there's a lot of content in these themes. It's a lot of some of it's a little academic for folks, and, and I think what's different about this book is it's it's a real practical on the ground. This is what it can look like, and this is how we might want to do it better. And I hope that it resonates with people because I've never felt um, so inspired really by a project, and I've learned so much from writing it, and it's our story really. But um, why don't we start with FSY? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, firstly, if you ever get to have a chance to to work with youth or in the FSY program, grab it with both hands because it's one of the best experiences that I've ever been a part of. Um, It's the most stressful and exhausting, (laughs) um, crazy experience. But I never served a mission, um, but I felt like I was on a mission that week. I felt like I was literally... God's hands, um, just some of the things that I had to deal with and the challenges that I was faced, like it wasn't me. And I just, I feel so grateful to have been a part of something and where I was able to learn firsthand from the young people of the church because they really are so inspiring. And they taught me a lot about how to love God's children. Um, so yeah, that's that's just my take on FSY. 
Yeah, I think what was different about our call is that we were coming right in after the pandemic. So the pandemic, you know, was really tough on folks, um, really tough. And mental health was at an all-time low, um, you know, and resetting things was tough. But it was a really great opportunity to start with a blank piece of paper. Um, FSY has quite a long history in the country. It's been backed and supported by many faithful families and couples that have kept it strong. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to bring that back in a new format. Well, I think it would have been easy for us to have, like, just run the program mm. and do what always been has been done. But because of on the back of the pandemic, we were really prayerful about the whole process. And we decided to spend a lot of our time talking with the young people and the leaders within our mission to find out what the real pulse is for what is actually going on on the front line. So rather than us speaking at those um, that were coming and letting them know what we thought was best for them, it was actually the bottom up feeding to us, sharing with us what their struggles were, their experiences. And what we found was there was a lot of pain that was happening within people's hearts. There was a lot of mental exhaustion, spiritual exhaustion. People were living on fumes, um, both the young people and and old. Um, And so we took all of that information um, and feedback from everybody. And that's really what has helped us in the decisions that we made going forward. And it it was, in more general terms, it was was like a disconnection had happened. Um, You know, I know that some people had a great, pandemic and they found all sorts of podcasters and youtube teachers and were able to sustain themselves but a lot of people couldn't um a lot of people struggled with that and there was this disconnection from the source and you know if you're disconnected from the source church is going to get hard real quick right it's tough to be part of spaces that over time become less um less impactful to you um and so reconnecting these kids was the opportunity and reconnecting them to him as a healer. You know, sometimes in the church, we, we project this high-performance Christ. We project, uh, you know, lots of goals, lots of um, activity, lots of achievement. Long to-do lists. Long to-do lists, lots, you know, get on a mission, be successful on the mission, be a baptizer, be a leader, um, come home, get married, have kids, um, have the kids be achievers. Um, and it, it can be exhausting to folks if that connection slips. So our challenge was how do you reconnect? And last comment before I hand back to Jen is, you know, I think FSY is a little bit of a lightning rod in this space because its heritage and its history, it was it's very focused on the for the strength of youth standards, which were really prescriptive. A lot of dress coding, a lot of outward appearance, um, which I'm sure all came from a good place, but for a youth group with radically different values, it's oil and water, right? And um, so we were really struggling with this. We're like, you know what needs to happen? We need to run a radically inclusive FSY and we need to throw out stuff that doesn't fit. You can't do that very well in the church. We're not so hot on the bottom line sort of ground grassroots innovation. We like top down, right? We like follow the prophet. We like follow the leaders. And I don't minimize those things at all. They're important parts of my faith. But we're not so hot on frontline innovation. So who are these who are these two young upstarts? People might have thought they've walked into this program. They were invited in. They're guests in our home. 
and they're throwing the furniture out the window. That doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't work for us. So we had a lot of fear and uh, maybe a little bit of trepidation, and we had to manage through that. Yeah. So I think one thing that helped us, like really helped us, was one time Sam and I were praying, and after hearing all the feedback from everybody and all the suffering, um, it was the overwhelming feeling of just get them there. I just need you to get them there. And, you know, when you have that sort of um, answer, it was the green light, really. It was the green light of, of we're going to get them there and Christ is going to do the healing um, because it is all about Christ and um, he is the true healer, you know. So, yeah, that was the green light that gave us the confidence to then go ahead um, to put into place our ideas and our impressions um and it gave us the confidence to keep going when we came up against opposition which we did um it hasn't been an easy journey by any means but like we feel like we're in a fight like a battle and you know if not from us then who someone's got to to stand up and yeah i just yeah, that's what gave us confidence, wasn't mm. it? And then we needed people. We needed a team. Yeah, we did. Because we didn't want to stand alone. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we then said about, okay, we need a team of like-minded folk and we, we're going to do something different. Um, so we, we pulled together a team of young adults who had never done it before. And uh, there's incredible young adults up and down the country. And they've been around FSY for a long time, but we wanted a leadership team that had never led before. We wanted to come together with all of us with fresh eyes on the space. Um, we didn't want to have any sacred cows. We wanted to say, what would the most inclusive FSY session look like? Mm-hmm. What do we need to keep? What do we need to build on? What do we need to throw out? And how radical do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And so we pulled together this team in 2022 and then the next year in 2023. I think some folks were surprised we were allowed back, um, but we were. <laughs> and we wanted, so we want independent thinkers we wanted diversity of thinkers we wanted different experiences we wanted huge amounts of empathy and understanding of the children and the kids and the youth and um, we also wanted representation we've got 97 nationalities coming to fsy so we wanted to make sure that our leadership team was representative of the youth stories we wanted connection to london we wanted connection to um, what faith looks like with their stories played back from the front and um, jumping ahead a little bit into the week itself it paid off massively you know our, our leadership team with their youth coming up to them saying i've never had a leader who looks like me i've never had a leader talk with such conviction and experience of my life that's been amazing thank you you know, and, and, and watching that play out was just a huge validation of how this team thought, how this team came together and how this team led in a really united way. Yeah. I mean, we also had um, quite a few youth come that identify within the LGBTQ plus community. And so it was really important to us that we had them represented, too, in the leadership um, because we really wanted to help them feel like this is their church, too, and that they belong just like everybody else. And um, we had a couple in our um, leadership team that um, identify in the community and they came to us before FSY started and they were like, Sam and Jen, can we wear our rainbow pins during the week of FSY? And we were like, 
absolutely like you go for it and because the idea behind it was that if they were wearing these pins that those youth that came that identified or were unsure or they just wanted to learn could approach our leaders and our counsellors and to ask questions to seek out those people that know what they are going through and to give them hope and that to help them know that they have a place and that they're loved and that they belong. And like you said, as the week went on during FSY and it played out, like, yeah, there were just countless stories of how these youth were helped. And um, yeah, if you want things to be different, like you have to have different people in charge, um, helping to make the decisions. Otherwise things are going to stay the same. Yeah. I mean, just on the LGBTQ plus point, we had a young woman come up to us on the backfield and um, she's pretty weepy. Um, but because she felt such a strong spirit of inclusion and really felt connected to the saviour through the content and the tone uh, and the messages, she came up to us and said, um, and I'm just going to read it so I do it justice. She said, I've always felt that I would one day have to leave this church that I love so much. This week, I feel I want to stay and help create this kind of space for as many people as possible. Wow. It was incredible. And this, this young yeah. woman is like, she's one of my top three favorite people. And I've got a family of six. <laughs> so, but, yeah. um, and then, and then that, that approach of how do we connect people to the savior really then moved on through the calling of the counselors. So FSY is quite structured. We have, it's a bit like a mission. You have APs, you have zone leaders, you use different vocabulary and then you have the missionaries and they all work with the youth and, these counsellors, you know, they came from all different types of experiences and they are amazing. But they also need inclusion and not exclusion. Um, we used to just only call return missionaries. So what about all these participating YA that haven't gone on a mission? Well, they didn't. They weren't allowed to be part of this space in the past, but mm-hmm. thankfully that changed. Um, in order to staff the sessions around the country, we had to be a little bit more pragmatic. So that was a, that was a helpful shift. Mm-hmm. But then there were those who were, they wanted to come, but then they would message us and say, I'm really sorry, my bishop said I can't. Um, and that would always trigger me a little bit. And we'd talk about it, Jen and I. And so we've got to go into, um, I want to be careful how our message is because I don't want it to sound like we're going against priesthood leaders or keys. But we said, we've got to get in this fight, right? So we call the bishop and I would speak to the bishop and we would talk about how, you know, if, if sin, you know, like Terrell and Fiona Givens have taught in all things new, if you see sin as woundedness, then the antidote to woundedness is healing. And what these kids, they're not going on a mission tomorrow, Bishop, I'd say. We just want them to be closer to the fire. So we trust them. We know them. I know they've slipped up, but they're striving and we value the diversity of striving. So if you can trust me, Bishop, and I can trust you, let's get this young man or this young woman to FSY. And let's let them move closer to the fire and give them a repentance prescription of inclusion rather than sit out on a naughty step and, and watch the clock tick down and then you can be included again. Mm. And I'll tell you, Richard, their stories of uh, healing from the FSY environment yeah. and their stories now beyond it, they're in a completely different life space. Yeah. And it, it comes down from us saying, you know what, in times of pain, you need more Jesus and not less Jesus. And we really saw that play out in many, many, many cases. Mm. Well, one of the things that we absolutely loved was um, 
just, oh, you need to speak about. Do you want me to? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, well, well, a natural segue from there. Why don't I tell you about getting the word out? And then um, Jane can come back in on Arrival's Day. So we, we had the team. We were super united. We felt purpose. We felt connected to Christ. We went to the temple. We had them over at our homes. We made sure that, that we were all aligned. Um, but we needed to get the word out. So we were trying to come up with a way that would set the hook to send the message, almost like a bat signal in the sky, a hook that would bring the youth. Um, you know, some of them were worried about the dress coding. They were worried about the haircutting. You know, you know, these are Gen Gen Z kids, right? They've got piercings. They've got multiple piercings. They've got blue hair. They've got pink hair. They've got... And they're not... Well, they've also heard all the stories, the yeah. trauma stories from previous years, and they were like, I don't want to be a part of that, thanks. That's right. It's that's, not for me, you that's, know? You know, some of the loaded statements we got when we were listening to folks, they're like, that's that's an indoctrination space, that's a brainwash camp, it's not for us. And that's unfair because that, that doesn't truly reflect everybody's experience. But Yeah, there but were some, some concerns, weren't they? Yeah, for some, FSY wasn't a safe space, and they were tuned into those stories. Um, so we had a think. We needed a signal, um, and we were listening to a talk by Elder Holland, which is 2017, which is a long time ago now, <laughs> seven years ago, and we're being credited for something fresh. But actually, this has been in the zeitgeist from the pulpit for seven years. And he said, come as you are, a loving father says to each of us, but he adds, don't plan to stay as you are. We smile and remember that God is determined to make of us more than we thought we could be. And so we lifted Elder Holland's Come As You Are. We slapped a hashtag on it, which probably shows our age because kids aren't so into hashtags anymore. But um, And then we put it out on all of our promotion literature, on our recruitment firesides. Don't worry about the dress coding and the standards and the prescriptions. Just come as you are. Mm-hmm. Just come and be part of this space. Come and fill this space with your culture, your personality, your faith. And we're going to be stronger for it if you if you come. And um, yeah, and, and, and come as you are, no matter where you are on your faith journey. Yeah. You know, if if you're right at the very beginning with that grain of mustard seed, or you really don't know, or you're doing great, you know, just come, come yeah. as you are. And let's back end this concept of being perfected, this, this being completed. Let's push that to the end of the faith journey and not have it front loaded where it's the departure lounge. And um, yeah. why don't you tell the story? Well, We've been arrivals there. Well, yeah, I mean, so we've been through all of this. We've like had the training, well, we've given the training to all of our counsellors and um, the come as you are approach. And, and then the arrivals day comes and we're like, please, kids, turn up. Like, don't, <laughs> don't stay at home, please. Um, and I don't just mean like the everyday kids. I mean, those kids that we really wanted to have be there. And um, so anyway, they start to come off the coaches and all we can really say is that they were coming off with these expressions of here I am this is me like um bringing all their color bringing their culture bringing their expressions of who they were we had kids with all sorts of hair colors and piercings and fake tattoos and leopard leopard print afro things going on and um and it was just the most vibrant color of beauty and it was emotional because it was just like they came, you know. I think what I think what really helped was we had amazing um, administrators, Lisa and John O'Sullivan, 
And they were the ones that were taking pretty much all the phone calls of like um, uncertainty from families and bishops, because these families were saying, look, like we need some guarantees and promises here that we're going to send our kids. We're going to trust them to go and you're not going to tell them to change who they are, because if that is going to happen, there's no way that they're going to want to come. And there's no way that we're going to want to send them because that's not a safe place for our kids right now. And Lisa and John absolutely caught the vision and, like they're they're the reason why the kids all came and they all trusted us. But yeah, it was just it was just amazing. It makes you realize that when you have this inclusive lens and you remove your fear of change and your fear of doing things differently, and um, just it is such a better place. Like it really is. And these kids brought their experience, their backgrounds, their struggles, their learning. And we were just like, if you look that way and still want to stay, then you are absolutely like wanted to be there. And they were just a great examples, I think, to everyone that was there. Mm. Um, we had uh, we had an area seventy on site. Uh, it was the <laughs> sweetest man, and uh, he he was fully on board with our strategy and our inclusion and. He came up to us uh, as the kids were, you know, getting their bags and checking in. He said, uh, Sam, Jen, can I have a quiet word about dress and grooming standards? We said, sure. Um, we, you know, felt like a little bit, oh, no, here it comes. And he said, I saw one of them wearing a Manchester United jersey. We can't have that, <laughs> which, which is not his team. And, uh, yeah, he was making light of uh, a moment. But it was, it we, was just we were a, grateful that he supported us. Yeah, he was, right? he was, he was amazing. He's I, amazing. I think what was great about it, too, was that you could see that there was anxiety removed from the counsellors because they weren't worried about what their youth was turning up like and they weren't worried that they were going to have to say something to them. They weren't worried about having to, you know, (laughs) confront these youth and ask them to remove that extra pair of earrings. Um, Yeah. I mean, when you move into the day then, so now they've arrived, they're unpacking, we we get all of their paperwork done, we sign them up to the clubs for the week ahead. And then we, um, once they've found their room keys, the counsellors drop their kid off they come and have a family home evening with us. And we were always told, right off Monday and Tuesday, it's part of the process. They won't let the mask slip. It'll be pretty passive aggressive. It's really hard. But by Wednesday, they have the ice cream and the games died and there'll be putty in your hands. Um, that was We got told that from a lot of people. The first slide of that family home evening was hashtag come as you are. And we just put it to them. We just microphone runners around the room. What does this mean to you? And they they were there. They showed up. They had mature answers, thoughtful answers, answers filled with faith in the Savior, answers filled with hope. Um, it was extraordinary. It brought such a sweet spirit of belonging. Uh, and then we had um, a choral item, uh, which you know, sing, maybe should we sing High on a Mountain Top? Should we sing, you know, <laughs> I know that my Redeemer lives? We sang um, Cindy Lauper's song, True Colors. Um, but a, a choral version of it. And if you want to look up on YouTube, sort of the Camden Choir sing that song, put the words up on the screen. And it was, there was a very special spirit, mm-hmm. which we just kept building on through the week. All the lessons about how to find Christ the healer, how to throw out the imposter Christ, the high performance Christ, um, how to find 
you know, solace in in the um, through and beyond the all in all out delusion, you know, conform or exit, which are the choices they're often presented. But actually, no, this is your journey of faith. The Savior welcomes you forward. You know, we're here for you. Let's support your growth. And um, it was extraordinary. It was just truly magical. Both years um, were in this space. And uh, we've had really special experiences that I don't think we'll ever forget. Yeah. I'm just so moved. And I speak for our listeners that are probably equally moved. I wrote down a lot of notes, and I'll just kind of go through them, and I want to get Sam and Jen to continue to talk. But you you just have so much excellent vocabulary. I, I think of, you know, we say we love everyone and all are welcome. And I think all of us as Latter-day Saints agree with that. Then I think what Sam and Jen and, and all their group has done is said, we're going to pragmatically work to make that happen. and and do the research to make that happen. So, you you know, I hope everybody's kind of getting the formula and what we can do to follow a similar formula in our area of influence. So it was a lot of listening um, to, the, to the youth and a lot of safe place where they sense they were safe opening up to you about some of the pain, some of the difficult experiences. Then you got this vision of what you wanted to do and you've got um, counselors that bought into the vision and just created this you know, this healing event, um, you have this way of talking about kind of the two um, ways we can talk about the gospel, high-performance Christ versus the healer. You do a good job of saying, you know, that's neither of those are outside of our doctrine, but maybe we need to move as a church more to people are so wounded, life is so difficult, that we need to be talking about this healer Christ. Um, we don't have to make that up. It's just part of our doctrine. We have, should have the most insights um, to the healing Christ. Um, let's see. We want it. What would the most inclusive YSA session we can build? I love that. Um, but then some of the YSA, the FS, the youth, as they came up to you, I've never had a leader that looks like me. How powerful is that? Um, Rainbow pins, you know, that some of the leaders wore, you know, at least in the States, in the church, that's kind of a tension point right now. Um, but to me, that's just a, a, it's part of this. If we love you, we want to signal that we're a safe person for you. Wearing a rainbow pin doesn't mean you don't support church doctrine or leaders or you're wanting it to change. It just means that you're a safe person. And it's a way to signal that to LGBTQ youth or youth that. And it signals in a way that's broader than that. I remember the first time I posted kind things about LGBTQ people on my Facebook page as a YSA bishop. I didn't have any more LGBTQ kids that came out, but several straight kids just said, okay, I can talk to this guy. (laughs) If he's going to proactively talk kind about queer Latter-day Saints, he can handle what I need to talk to him about. Um, And then this idea that I have to either conform or to exit. That's another one of these you just put up. That resonates with me as you bring our listeners into the minds of younger Latter-day Saints. I need to take off that second piercing. I need to have my hair a certain color as I step off that bus. There's a a focus on the standards and the strength of youth. And I love listeners what Elder Uchtdorf says. 
there's no sign at the door that says your testimony needs to be this high to enter. And I think he teaches a principle that you've grabbed on in a practical way and implemented. Each of us has a different circle of influence. Some of us are in charge of a young men's or young women's. I'm a primary activity day leader for the boys. So I think it's just good to hear these this story as we think, what can we do in our world of influence to model what the Nortons and others have done? Because it's it's not just keeping people in our church. That's nice, and that helps us feel good. And I like that, but it's more, what does that mean? Well, they're connected to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and the healing he can bring into their lives and give them hope and peace. So keep talking. Well, we got uh, three three things to share. Um, why don't we do them? Do we do I, that one? One? Yeah. I think um, something that's, that resonates a lot with me, especially from my experience in young women's and in Relief Society, is for some reason, as members of the church, we really struggle with our self-worth and we really struggle with feelings of being good enough. And um, it's kind of hard to understand because when we have such a beautiful gospel, when we have the restored truth of, I have a father in heaven or I have heavenly parents and I have a savior that has paid the price for me and that my worth never changes. You know, I, I'm always good enough for Christ, for his atonement. And, um, and I think just one of the things that we spoke about with the young adults in particular and also with the youth is this idea of success in the gospel. Like, what does that look like to you? What does success mean? Um, and like Sam was saying earlier, um, we, have a, we as a culture have quite an outward focused um, approach to measuring success. So it's how we look like and it's what we do. And if we just take the a young person's experience, you know, success is going on a mission. It's when you're on a mission, it's baptizing a lot and it's having leadership positions. And then it's coming home and you go to university and college. You are married in the temple. You have lots of kids. You grow in your callings. They get more and more senior and 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 that seems to validate you as a member of the church and as a disciple of Christ. Like that's where your validation comes from, is the success in these outward um, things that we do. <clears throat> However, is that really what success is? Because if you were to take your ward congregation, you've got everyone to stand up and you're like, okay, guys, right, please sit down. If you are sealed in the temple, um, What's another yeah, example? And your children are all active. Sit down. And there will inevitably, inevitably be people that sit down. But more often than not, I know in our own ward, the majority of people will still be standing. And so you think to yourself, lives are so complex. Everyone's journey is so complicated and so varied. How on earth can we be thinking that we're failures? You know, is it a failure if you don't go on a mission? You know, for those kids that come home early, you know, they feel like failures, but they're not. So what does success look like? And success is your personal growth coming to Jesus Christ. And it has to be like that because that then means it's inclusive and everybody can be a success 
in their way um, in how they choose to come to Christ and how he heals them. So, and I think that's a big contributor to how we feel so rubbish about ourselves. So I think as leaders, we need to be thinking about where are we placing our emphasis? Is it on these outward performances or is it how we're changing as a person inside in how we're coming to Christ? Um, the other thing we wanted to share is um, something we taught at FSY was the language of I know. And I know there's a lot of content around this, but again, we wanted to bring it into our, into our space. And this, uh, you know, if you're, if you're starting kids off in a place of, in a language of certainty, there's not a lot of space for their journeying and their wandering, spelt with an A, or their wandering spelt with an O. Um, you know, they, they have a journey ahead of them. And, and um, so we did a fireside right before the testimony meeting where they split out into groups of 50 and it's a bit more intimate and they share their faith. And we said, look, if, if you don't feel like you can say, I know, that's okay. You know, Book of Mormon teaches that faith starts with desire, you know, and then it grows into a place of knowing. And, but it takes a while to grow in that upward spiral and, you know, here are some other alternatives that you might want to use. You know, instead of I know, maybe you say I believe or I hope or I um, I wonder or I ponder, um, you know, I hope. Um, and, and just taught some content and shared some scriptures around that and shared our own faith in a similar language. And then when those youth and, and young adults went to their testimony meetings, we had the I knows, and that's great. We definitely don't want to create taboos and, create a reverse out group suddenly because the pendulum swung the other way. That's not right. But we had an awful lot of I believes. We had a lot of I don't know yet. Um, and we had a lot of I hope. And uh, there were beautiful declarations of faith, fragile, blossoming faith. And because they could now own the words with authenticity, it had more power. Um, and a lot of people would, would say that later on, that I finally found permission to say the words I want to say. Fast forward to post-FSY, the Sunday after, state presidents are really good at inviting the youth up to, to bear their testimonies. They tend to clear the schedule if it's not a fast and testimony meeting and have the youth speak. And uh, we got some feedback and some reports that the pulpits were being filled with the language of I hope, and I'm not sure yet, but I'm growing um, and it was really hard, you know, our WhatsApps were just buzzing in our pockets as our <laughs> leadership team all around the country were, were commenting on what they were saying. But in one ward, um, let's say um, sort of older generation members felt really uncomfortable with this language of I don't know yet and rose to the pulpits in a sort of battleground to reclaim their own safe space and sort of corrected the youth for the language they were using and double down on the certainty and say, I need the youth to know that I know that church is true. And um, I think people who were there, they shared that something just just a little bit stepped back from, from the beauty that was starting to, to happen in that meeting that day. And so when we think about inclusion, we want to find language that everyone can feel that, yeah, I'm on the path too and I'm in the fight, not there yet, but that's totally fine too. Just to comment, um, and then I'd like yeah. to keep going. I hope that listeners got the idea that you sort of created a culture before the testimony of, of you just didn't say as blanket statement, all testimonies are welcome. You actually went to the language of different testimony types in a proactive way and said, all of these testimonies are welcome. And then you went to our doctrine. Um, 
that it's like a mustard seed or different gifts of the Spirit to some it's given to know, to some it's given to believe. So you have this way of, of taking a concept like all testimonies, we want to hear all testimonies, and actually then creating a culture to make that happen by proactively talking about it. And that's part of the gift you have to the UK and beyond now with your book and podcast is sort of this pragmatic way to create a safe place and to create belonging because of the language and just the culture you're creating. And that's a big part of your book. And it's a big part of your unique ministry in the church. So keep talking. And I love that then these youth got up in testimony meetings all across the UK. And and you said something really interesting. They found permission to use the words they've always wanted to say because they didn't have an I know. So then you wonder, do I belong here? Because that that's the that's sort of the benchmark. Um, and so now I'm feeling I can belong here because I can be authentic in my testimony. And um, then we keep them as they grow their mustard seeds, so to speak. But they can, as you would well know, they can contribute now and help us grow Zion with, a, I hope the testimony is true. It's not like you're not saying this, but I don't want anybody to infer you're, you're not a complete Latter-day Saint that can fully contribute with an, I know, I hope the te- church is true because behind that testimony, maybe someone with incredible gifts to help us create Zion and incredible mm-hmm. gifts to bless the lives of others. So keep sharing. Absolutely. I think the language is also important for us as oldies to remember because there are times where you do know things, but then there are times where you actually don't. And it's okay to have those feelings yourself. And it goes back to the all in or all out again, where it doesn't have to be that way. It's not like you have to fit this cookie cutter mold or you don't, or you're all in, or you have to be out of here because you you can't stay. Um, you have to know, or yeah, you, you're gone. It's giving people that freedom and that space to be able to um, express and sit with where they're at. And that's enough and okay at that moment and that time. And, and like all of our journeys are so complex, you know, sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. And a lot of the time through no fault of our own. Um, Sam's book talks about that a lot about, you know, where we're all planted. Um, Yeah. I mean, what was, what was really, it's quite emotional actually, because when we finished FSY and word was getting out, you know, people can hear come as you are and their mind goes to a place of, well, I bet that wasn't a good session. Yeah. No rules there. Yeah. No rules there. I don't want my children going to that session in the future. And, you, and as I said earlier, you get this stuff sort of coming through on the wind and um, you're like, gosh, that's such a misrepresentation of what happened. But you know what you felt, you know what you witnessed and you move forward. Um, but having sort of really moved beyond the For the Strength of Youth prescription standards independently with no connection or knowledge to what was going on in Utah, we then get to a general conference in October 22 and President Ogdorf gets up and basically says, this book of prescriptive direction, we're not following it anymore, guys. We're going to trust the youth. We're going to build out their agency. We're going to teach them correct principles. We're going to let them govern themselves. And we're going to let them lead us forward. Um, 
I'm not putting words in his mouth. You can find the talk of what he actually said, but he anchored it all on the Savior, all on his teachings, and and turned a page. And it was such a quiet validation, if that if that's not so boastful, uh, of what we'd felt and what we'd tapped into. And I've always felt um, that there's, you know, when you're aligned and in tune because things are said over the pulpit at General Conference and you think, I've had that thought. I felt like that for a really long time. And to have it come from the prophets and into the machinery of the church programs and culture and zeitgeist is, is just really, really rewarding and really exciting. And But but what is also interesting to, to add, some it's interesting how people can hear the same message and have such diverse reactions to it. Um, so we know of some areas that are really hot still on the prescription. Um, they, they see a different message in those talks. Um, where we saw validation and green light, you know, they saw doubling down and, and hold the line. And, and yeah, that's just really interesting to be in those conversations and spaces because you're like, wow, I, am I in the wrong? Are you in the wrong? Maybe neither of us are in the wrong, but we're just, it's just interesting how that plays out. Um, but we're really excited about where this now moves forward because, as we've said, having these youth come and fill this space with who they are is the fastest route to progress and growth and expansion. And we're truly excited by that. Mm-hmm. Keep sharing. Um, what else should I we think, say? Well, one thing I love about Sam's book, if I'm allowed to say, is it's all about creating that safe space. So there are lots of things that we can't control. Um, my kids, for one of them, I'd love, <laughs> love a bit more control there. But what I learned working with the youth during those intensive weeks is that you're if you're able to create a safe environment um, for them, for people at church, um, no matter where people wander and where people are on their faith journeys, if they know that church is that safe place, that they're more likely going to return, they're more likely going to stay, they're more likely going to get more from it because they can find Christ there when they're ready to. Because sometimes people just aren't ready as well. But I think just creating that safe place um, and having some tools which Sam's book gives is just really pretty important because then you leave the rest up to Christ, you know, the the only one. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what has helped me appreciate, yeah, is, is actually the, the part that I can play. Yeah. In, the, um, in our second year where we had had, and I should say that we, Absolutely followed the themes. We had uh, trust in the Lord as our first. And yeah. The second one was um, I can do all things through Christ. We just had these handles and these hooks to reach out locally. And the first handle was come as you are. The second handle was proud of my faith. And um, we really leaned heavily on on the Apostle Paul and his shield of faith. Sometimes we weaponize faith and we teach youth to have weapons of faith. We We teach them that if they're going to have a church conversation, that should quickly evolve into a recruitment strategy. You know, we should be standing as a witness and broadcasting the message of the gospel. And, and of course, those are covenants we make, and it's important that we we arrive there. But we can also be striving to arrive there. And if we've got young people who are trying to decide whether this faith tradition is for them, trying to decide if Christ is a character that they can trust, trying to decide if the church environment is one that they want to belong to, then it's okay that things take time. And developing weapons of faith that recruit people or 
are combative and um, inauthentic is just not the way to raise people in their friendship circles. People need friendships. They need a network of friends they can rely on. And friendship, true friendship, is built on authenticity. And so what we found was a lot of space for to speak to the young people of, Paul taught that faith was a shield in the armor of God. It wasn't a sword. It wasn't a weapon. It was a shield to crouch behind, to feel sustained and supported by, to deflect the, the darts um, of the adversary. And so talking about faith in a way that you can feel proud of, whether you have lots of questions or no questions at all, to really get comfortable with your personal faith and find protection and salvation in that um, is actually a really important foundational principle. And sometimes in our culture of growth and expansion and ambition, um, yeah, and, there, and there is a charge to take the gospel into all the world, of course there is. But I wonder sometimes if we need the youth actually to just spend a bit more time fashioning the shield and being strengthened by the shield. And then the time will come where they can pick up their weapons and go into battle. But um, getting trying to seed those two things at the beginning, in our experience, is, is for a minority of folks, and they can do it well and, and all power to them, but, but there's a majority that can't, and reassuring them just to find solace in their faith for a while is a great place to spend time. Yeah. I love that, and... Um, I want you to talk about your book in the next segment, um, unless you've got other stuff. But um, I think about, and I've mentioned this on subsequent podcasts, just President Nelson's call of the gathering of Israel. And I've talked about how that would be, you know, I would think first of a missionary like myself going out in the late 70s to Northwest England and finding people looking for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I still think of that, listeners. But I think of those 400 YSAs in your London, they're Israel, they're our own people, they're part of the team, they're part of um, Jacob 5, we've been talking about Jacob 5 a lot on the podcast, that they're tame olive trees, they're Israel, um, and they need to be nourished. And but, but an earlier guest pointed out, Claire Dalton, that to be a gathering, there might have had to have been a scattering before that. And so I recognize that some of the the things that aren't necessarily gospel related, gospel doctrine, but more culture, create the scattering that has occurred um, innocently. I don't think people are malice and are wanting to scatter our own people, but some of the cultural things you're talking about um, cause people to wonder if if they're welcome and if they belong. And so I look at what you're doing is gathering Israel. Um, and making us a stronger people and recognizing the work we need to do to, and that we've done some probably what I would call inadvertent scattered. And part of that is I think what you're talking about, Jen and Sam, is just this high performance gospel, this very transactional gospel of performance and sort of measuring ourselves and maybe measuring others to that standard has caused some of that. And I think Zion is this beautiful diversity of God's children that I saw represented in those Instagram photos I saw from your FSY. Um, but talk, um, talk about the book. Um, we've got time to talk anything you want to talk about. There's more things you want to talk about before the book. This is just really golden um, content. It's not this theoretical sort of stuff. You have 
good understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you have this ability then to take it into um, the lives of our youth and to create Zion. So keep sharing. Well, I never uh, thought, if you'd have told me 10 years ago, um, you're going to write a book one day, I would have laughed at you. I'm a <laughs> banker, right? I, uh, <laughs> I'm a finance guy. Jen's a nurse, a pediatric nurse. We don't write books. Um, but then over the last five or six years, I started to sort of treasure up, I guess, is one of a better word, uh, maybe a little longer than five or six, um, just things that I would write to my children. What would I leave as my own sort of small plates to my children? What would I say? And so I started to cultivate the idea of writing a book called Letters to My Children. Um, and then a book came out called Letters to a Young Mormon. And I was like, well, there goes that opportunity. Um, and uh, shelved the idea, really. Uh, and then just through FSY and through the experiences that both Jen and I have been having, a book just started to crystallize in, a, in, in the mind. And um, it takes, we thought of for a while, do we, do we co-author it? And in the end, there was so much of me and my personal faith stories that it, that it just became a, a shared project, but um, but a book that I wrote, and, and Jen writes the she has the first and the last word in the book, which I think is a really nice touch. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to create a practical guide, and so the book is written to parents, leaders, and teachers. I really hope people read it. You know, I hope that if you're a parent and your child or your teen or your young adult is uh, wandering right now from the community and struggling i hope that you read this book and and give it a go and, and you find there some some uh, some ideas and some thoughts of how to keep your family intact and how to how to um navigate what can be quite a difficult space for folks but it starts off with um a story which i think i might share here actually um so when i was in a state presidency we had a visitor come and do some training and the visitor said uh, to the state president, tell me, president, how many members of your stake do you think will go to the celestial kingdom? I always ask this question of state presidents, and it's really interesting what they have to say. One state president said he thought it was as low as 50. Another state president thought it was as low as 20. What's your number? And as this story was playing out, I was, I was like really triggered by it. I was like, this cannot be happening. Like, how many times has this conversation played out? This is so not right. And as the, the sort of conversation ebbed and flowed, I was thinking about all my friends that had left the faith. I was thinking about uh, ward members back in the Wembley ward. Um, I was thinking about family members that no longer felt safe at church. And uh, as he drew his sort of thoughts to a close, and it couldn't have been more than 20 seconds, I make it sound like it was longer, but... I just had to speak and I, I found myself beginning to speak and I said, you know, by name, I said, please, please ask me your question. And he said, okay, President Norm, how many members of this stake do you think will go to eventually make it to the celestial kingdom? And I just summed up my faith journey in three small words and said, all of them. And then the conversation completely pivoted to an inclusive father in heaven, an inclusive plan you know, that his work and his glory is to bring us all safely home and that it wasn't right that we just all signed off on this idea that many would be lost because that's not really the plan. And, and we talk about this in the book, that there's this, the plan of salvation has got to be way more inclusive than we can possibly imagine and those that we currently teach. And 
there are so many quotes that give families hope in the next life. Um, and somehow those have been lost from our curriculums. They don't get talked about. Um, and you can find them, and they're in the book, and uh, you find them in other places too. I didn't have to go digging for long. But at eternal and infinite atonement, we talk about you know, Doctrine and Covenants 138, the, the most clear vision of the next life, and you've got repenting souls that are that have died in transgression, and there are missionary forces lifting them out of their difficulties and moving them forward on their progress through Christ and onto God. And you think to yourself, well, if they can repent, yeah. then why can't my son or my daughter or my brother or my dad or my mom or myself um, or myself? And so, yes, we've got scripture mastery scriptures for children of the 90s that are this life is the time to prepare to meet God. We've got scriptures that seem to close the door on, on you know, the Lord's um, kingdom, uh, depending on what you do in this life. But we also have scriptures, and this is what the book brings out. We also have scriptures like a piano. You can play different keys and different notes. And we have prophets, thankfully, that clear it up and make it clear. But if you do a little research and a little digging and you step off some of the primary cultural narratives that are allowed to be embedded, you can find a path to truth where there's so much more space for the diversity of families. That's one of my favorite chapters, chapter four, creating space for the diversity of families. And when you put, you instill hope into folks where you're not cavalier, like, of course, you need to repent. And of course, you need to believe in the Savior. And of course, we want to receive our ordinances. But if we're going to live forever and have lived forever, and you're trapped in mortality under circumstances that you just can't shake or control, under complexity and burden in the, based on the ground in which you're planted, um, you know, the, the Lord is way more merciful than we than we give him credit for. And that's... Um, that's that's the central message of the book, really. We go through creating space for the diversity of circumstances, creating space for diverse personal connections, creating space for uncertainty, creating space for the diversity of families, creating space for Christ the healer, creating space for the kingdom of God and the differences between the church as an organization and the kingdom of God and how to righteously and reverently create space in that dichotomy without making one the loser and one the winner, uh, creating space for the diversity of faith, uh, and then a, a sweet conclusion. And I might just close this moment for me and the hand to Jen. My conclusion is uh, is a story about Abigail. Abigail is a, a very dear friend of ours. She's a phenomenal leader in the church, just unbelievable. Like Everyone wants to be like her. Um, but she came to us and said, look, I have a come as you are story too. And she tells a story of how when she was a teenager, um, because of some challenges in her family, her family stepped away from the church. She kept her faith, but she didn't go to church anymore. Um, and in her 20s, she found love. Uh, she got married. She had children. And when she was pregnant with a child, she said to God, if you help deliver my child safely, I'll come back to church. Well, I'll bring him back to church. I'll bring him to church if you help me deliver my baby safely. And she had uh, her child, and um, pretty soon there was a familiar knock at the door, <laughs> and two missionaries showed up, and uh, she welcomed them in. She enjoyed the spirit with them. She enjoyed uh, uh, the lessons, um, but she knew it was winding up to a moment where she'd be challenged and committed. And the missionary said to her, will you come back to church? And... Um, she said, I'm really sorry, but I can't. 
I love to drink wine and it's the thing that connects me to my friends and I can't give up my friends right now. So I want to thank you, but I guess we're done here. And the missionaries, these 19-year-old missionaries, unbelievably basically said, doesn't matter, just come to church, come as you are, just come and be part of this. You want to drink wine, you drink wine, just come and be part of it. And uh, they trusted the Lord, they trusted her, and she came to church and she started coming back to church. And little by little, she felt the sanctifying spirit and um, she decided that she, over time, wanted to make covenants. She worked with the bishop. Uh, she went to the temple. Her husband joined the church. They went wow. to the temple together. And she was slowly sanctified over time. And this all started with a come as you are. And those missionaries were wise enough not to put the temple standard on the front door of the chapel. And uh, she's all the better for it. And guess what? She kept all her friends. Uh, her friendships were built on more than a bottle of red. And uh, she became their teetotal designated driver and still has those friends today. So that's the, the concluding message of the book is we've got to expand this come as you are and um, let church be a place where people can find Christ the healer. Let them do it on their terms and his terms. And let's start with the youth, because if we do, they'll lead us to places we can scarcely imagine. Yeah, thanks. I, I love Abigail's story, and there are more stories in the book that are just really inspiring. I think um, just my closing thoughts are that men are that they might have joy. You know, Christ wants us to have joy. This is the whole purpose of plan, and and um, I think we make it really difficult for ourselves and for our young people to find the joy in the gospel before we've even really begun. And um, it's just thinking about we're all God's children, no matter our background, our circumstances, and it's about how do we truly help each other find Christ um, and get out of each other's way as well. And, yeah, it's been quite a ride. I'm just so grateful for the young people that I've been able to learn from and, and been inspired by. And, I, you know, they're my, they're my friends. Like, I love them. I'll do anything for them. And, um yeah, I just, I just want to, I want to stay in it. I want to be part of the fight for them because, as well, it's it's the future of my kids' church. I want my kids to stay and to thrive and to love Christ like I do. Um, so yeah, so thank you for this opportunity, Richard. Thank you. I'm brought to tears a few times in this podcast, listeners. It just gives me hope to meet a couple like Sam and Jen. We've. Sam and I have been trading emails for a couple of years, but I've never really listened to Sam and Jen talk like this. And I'm just so moved and so full of hope for the future when I meet someone like Sam and Jen and their work. Um, you, you are really gifted with communication. <laughs> um, there's just a few things I wrote down. As one is, as I see you on my screen, you work so well together. Neither of you are talking over each other. You're both, you model, and I'm sure you have your bad days, <laughs> but you model just the quality of an LDS couple. You both just briefly mentioned you're professionals, you're working, um, you have meaningful careers, but you just model so well supporting each other and deferring to each other. And I think that models, you know, equality really well in our church and the importance of, you know, your voice, Jen, and your voice, Sam. Um, 
the temple standard shouldn't be on the front door of the temple. Sam, you just said that out loud when you're talking about Abigail, and I don't know if that's language you've used before, but it's something that resonates so well with me. And I've always felt the gate is wide at the congregation level. There shouldn't be a belief or behavior hurdle. It narrows to get in the temple, but then you said it so well. We shouldn't then, with our culture, put the standard of the temple on the front door of the temple. Or do I even say <laughs> chapel? <laughs> chapel, thank you. Keep me in line here. Or even in our homes. Um, and so I just think, as you shared with Abigail, those mature 19-year-old missionaries seeing the big picture, um, just recognize it's a long journey. Um, and then Abigail, because she felt welcome, because she didn't feel sifting at that point, or didn't feel she measured up, she could, you know, find her way to the temple, which came later, where there is a belief in behavior hurdle. Um, but we're going to get more Abigails to the temple if we create the kind of culture you're talking about. I also like about, you know, this whole book, listeners, about creating safe places, I think, is a proactive effort. So if you know, we may have young, you may have a young family and go, well, I don't, do I really need to start doing this now? Or you may have a young woman's or a young men's organization where everybody seems to feel like they belong, but, or a ward, you may be thinking about your ward conference talk, but you may think, well, I could, I could create this proactively, um, even if I don't really see a need for it right now. And you may then find that there has is a need for it and there may be people then are bravely opening up and feel you're a safe person because you're creating a culture and i think it's fine to say we love everybody and everybody's welcome but i think this book and this podcast will give you insights into how do i pra pragmatically do that um with church leader quotes church doctrine so that people feel safe opening up to me i think that's one of the greatest things we can do as a leader, as a parent, is when people open up to us about the reality of their lives. I think you also do a great job of setting up there's no scarcity of exaltation. When you said, Sam, all of them, about who's getting get in the celestial kingdom, I believe that. I believe if we really own our doctrine and the plan of salvation, we can believe and hope that all of them make it to celestial kingdom. We live in a mortality where there's just so much scarcity of getting a job, um, getting a raise, getting the, there's just, you know, getting the right grade. It's, and I think we take that mentality sometimes to heaven where there's a scarcity of salvation. We know doctrinally that everybody will be resurrected. So there's not a, a scarcity of salvation in the sense everybody will be resurrected, but there's not, a scarcity of exaltation, which would be all of them making it to the celestial kingdom. It's not like if Jen gets in, it makes it harder for me to get in. Or if I live not quite as good a life as somebody else and I didn't have a temple recommend for a long time, or I went through a divorce, or I dealt with alcoholism, that my eternal hope should be dashed. And I think the loving parents that you're helping us understand would want everyone to get back, all of them that wants to get back and eternity is a long time. And I think if we really own our doctrine, it's easier for us as Latter-day Saints to say all of them. If we really understand the plan of salvation and then it's easier for us to help everybody on their own individual journey and to be patient with them if they're in a different place than somebody else. And 
and perhaps most importantly, be patient with ourselves. Um, if we come to church and feel like we're not quite, and that's why, like Jen earlier, you said, measure success by coming into Christ. That's where your self-worth should be. And that there's no scarcity of that. Um, and I really believe that that our self-worth doesn't need to be tied into callings or the different things you went through, Jen. It's coming into Christ. And that is not comparative in nature. That's just us doing our best within ourselves. Um, I'm just so moved listening to you, listeners. I I knew this would be a really quality podcast, a really quality couple, but to be honest, I'm just deeply moved um, with you two, and you're so good at understanding our doctrine, the issues, the youth. You're this. You're really in a wonderful place to help us grow as a church, and your voice is needed in the UK, but it's needed throughout the church. And I'm glad Cedar Fort, I think, is your publisher here in Utah that published it. This book's at Amazon. Uh, there's probably some listeners that love to find you. Can we put your emails in the show notes? Would that be okay? Or can we put your yeah, social we, we've media? Got a, we got it. We, we're Brits, right? So we're pretty uncomfortable with any kind of platform. <laughs> We'd like to hide in the shadows. But, um, but yeah, we, we can put an email um, and the Instagram. And look, I would just uh, thank you, Richard. Like We really value the work that you do and the platform and the voice you give to the voiceless. And uh, it's been a real privilege to meet with you this evening. So we'll put a way for you to contact Sam and Jenny. There'll be an email or an Instagram page or something, because I guess there's some of you that would like to, you know, message Sam and Jen and either ask for advice or still how much you love the podcast and how helpful it is for them. Anything else? You, I'd love to ask you a question. You know, I think you've answered this, but you've had you're very you've had really good friends leave the church, and you've had people you love leave the church, and I sense you have an understanding of why they've left and you love them and you keep those relationships intact, but talk about why you stay when you're so aware of the challenges the church faces and so many that are leaving. And um, there's probably listeners that want to stay and need a voice of someone that's aware of all the challenges and is, and staying. So you've kind of answered that. Maybe just directly answer that for any listener that's kind of in that boat. That is a great question. So I've actually been thinking about this recently because I'm sure I'm not alone where sometimes you turn up to church on a Sunday and you're thinking to yourself, what what am I doing here today? Like, I could have done with today off. I'm so disengaged. I'm exhausted. I'm not really getting anything from my Sunday experience. Um, And, you know, that is my reality sometimes. Um, however, the reason why I stay and why I'm here today is because of undeniable experiences that I've had with answer to prayer and with my Savior Jesus Christ. Um, I think I've been really fortunate that I had parents that really focused on Christ with with um, with me growing up and encouraged me to have my own personal experiences. Um, and so because I, like, I, I know that Christ knows me and sees me, and I know that he loves me. And I also, I'm reminded this year with the Book of Mormon, I know that that is 
the word of God and I love that. So those two things together and then my desire to want to help make church a better place. Because if we if we all leave, those of us that have questions and challenges and disagreements, then you're just going to leave people that, I don't know what the right word is, but it's just like like what we did with the kids coming off the bus, the more colour, the more diversity, the more inclusion, the more you bring people in, that creates the better space. The worst space is the the scarcity and the people that all think the same, that look the same, that act the same, like that's not a space that Christ wants. You know, he wants all of his people, all of his children um, to be gathered, not those that just look and, and look the talk or talk the talk and walk the walk. That's it. So that's why I'm here because of my personal experiences that keep me going in times that are hard. Um, because I know the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, and because I want to make this a better, safer place mm. for myself and for my kids and those around me. Yeah, look, for me, it's um, I have this in the book. I have, you know, when I was a young bishop, <clears throat> I was just completely overwhelmed by the experience, right? 24 years old, one week had five couples who wanted divorce and <laughs> marriage counsel. I'm like taking exams at work where if I don't pass them I get my contract terminated trying to keep Um, me happy you know got got expensive taste no I'm joking she doesn't (laughs) doesn't at all um and uh so I was sitting at the front with people bombarding me with their doubts their fears their concerns have you seen this in the church history have you seen that and just at risk of getting washed away and in those moments I had to dig deep and had to pivot and transition my faith furniture to the savior and i think at that time in my life my religious experience was defined by the church it was found at church it was shaped by church it was reliant on church and my faith expression was driven through my callings um and so my even after having been a good missionary you know coming home serving as the bishop in real time sat at the front i was holding on and i had to position and transition my faith to the savior and once i did that um and I find the Savior in the Book of Mormon. I find him in the New Testament. I find him throughout the scriptures. But as I've got older, I said this to Jen recently, as I've learned to realize that maybe I can't rely on some of the things that I thought were certainties, you know, whether that's narratives or cultures or teachings, as you get older, you really, you look beyond them and through them and see them for what they are. But I can't get, I can't get through the scriptures. I can't get beyond the Book of Mormon and, I've spent the last three years teaching seminary. Big shout out to my seminary students. Um, and I've waited, I've hung on to study the Book of Mormon, and I love it. I teach the Book of Mormon in the mornings, um, and there I find the Savior. And if I find the Savior in the Book of Mormon, then despite all the noise around him, I can trust on the goodness and the intentions of the Prophet Joseph. And boy, he looks like he's a complex character. And the stories we've told at church have been unhelpful perhaps over time. You know, we, we could pr- perhaps do with a more three-dimensional Joseph. If somebody wrote my life and edited it and audited it, it would be a train wreck 200 years from now. I'm glad they haven't. I'm glad they don't. But through all of Joseph's challenges, I trust him because I can rely on the Book of Mormon. And I can trust him because that Book of Mormon brings me to the Savior. And because of that, I can trust in his kingdom and in his church. And uh, I would rather stay and help shape it 
then walk away and leave it in the hands of others because we really believe in a in a model of if not us then who and if enough people think like that then we've got a chance um thank you both sam and jen norton for being on the podcast i'm just so moved we're recording this at noon utah time which i think is about 8 p.m england time um i'm just so moved and i'll be thinking about your words church tomorrow it's fast day in 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 here in the united states probably is in the uk tomorrow your tomorrow just comes quicker um i think about both of your testimonies they're really powerful but they're more sustainable with the foundation you've developed. They're less brittle. I don't know what the opposite of brittle is. Resilient might be when you talk about a 3D Joseph Smith, you just shared that off the cuff. That's probably a more sustainable approach to Joseph Smith. Well, there's some nuance there. He's a mortal man. Um, he's a prophet of God. And so just, I think that's, and, and to teach... Uh, to teach in a way that has resiliency as, as Latter-day Saint youth come across complex historical issues, complex current issues, and to live with uncertainty at times. Uncertainty and living with uncertainty is, is a gift of the Spirit. Um, certainty is a gift of the Spirit. So we're not trying to lift one over the other, but there's just different models of faith going forward. And you represent one that's very sustainable. Um, and it helps... Others that want a sustainable faith to navigate their journey in the church, but both of you are so grounded in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I've always felt the church is a means to connect us with Jesus Christ. It's not the end; it's the water that pushes us towards the land that represents the healing. Big focus. I also love the idea that Zion is not sameness, but unity and purpose. My younger self would have not said that. He would have thought Zion is sameness um but now i think of zion what you're talking about and it's unity and purpose but it helps me to learn to want to be a little more uncomfortable with the diversity and we're going to a principles-based church where we're not talking about the number of earrings in your ear we're talking about principles here so people are going to have different conclusions um about how to do that and as and we need to learn to have the maturity to be at peace with those differences and not to see each other by those sort of things that might have sifted us. And as we're maturing as a church and you're helping us do that. So anyway, I could talk for a long time, but I'm just so moved. Um, in the show notes, once again, we'll put the Amazon link. We'll put, um, I think you have an Instagram page of your book. We'll also put any way to contact you. It might be just DMs on the Instagram page. Um, and just so you know, tell our listeners, just in case there's anybody that knows um, the town or village you live, it's kind of right between London and Birmingham, I believe, closer to London. If you drew a line from London to Birmingham, you might go right to your village. The main road doesn't, but it's kind of a cool village. Just tell us about where you live. So the town of which we live is called Leighton Buzzard. So... It's about an hour north of London. The reason why we moved here at the time was because it was cheap, affordable housing. It was 30 minutes into London, which is where Sam works. And it's out in the country, so it's lovely. But apart from that, there's nothing really else here. So please, if you ever come to visit England, do not put it on your itinerary <laughs> because you'll be really disappointed. 
Um, but yeah, so we would love to hear from anybody that would like to reach out to us. We really would um, to learn from each other. So yeah, please get in touch. Thank you. Well, we'll sign off. Thank you, Sam and Jen Norton. This is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.